It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It takes a lot of hard work to make it look easy. This Mother's Day, Duluth Trading Co. can help you give her something that keeps up. Whether you prefer to shop online or in-store, Duluth has a motherload of gear, goods, and gifts to keep her comfortable and capable, no matter what needs doing. With Duluth's problem-solving details and legendary durability to boot, you'll finally be mom's favorite again. Check out DuluthTrading.com for all your Mother's Day gifting needs. Hello and welcome to the Country Farm Magazine podcast, essential listening for anyone who loves the British countryside. My name's Fergus Collins and I'm the editor of the magazine. The team and me have gathered today to talk about the December issue, which is in the shops now. We've also got a bit of wildlife magic uh, in this podcast when I visited the great starling spectacle in the Somerset levels. And Abigail takes a trip to one of Britain's most picture-perfect villages to see how the lucky residents celebrate Christmas in their own unique way. But more on that later. Being December, the magazine has an unashamedly warm and Christmassy glow throughout. We've got tons of suggestions for winter walks, places to visit, local food to try, and even some last-minute present inspiration. But as always, we all have our favourite features. Perhaps, Abigail, you'd like to start off and tell us what your pick of the month is. Um, It was really difficult to choose, actually, from the December issue. There's lots of favourite features, but I think, personally, it would have to be um, Edwardian Farm, which was written by Ruth Goodman, who was one of the presenters of the Edwardian Farm series, which which should be out now. Um, and she was also one of the um, historians that presented Victorian Farm. And um, yeah, in this article, Edwardian Farm, she just writes about the differences between Edwardian farming compared to Victorian farming and how Edwardian farming shaped the landscape and it is it's a, it is a fascinating article and Ruth Goodman she is just she's, she's just goddess, one of my heroes she? yeah she's wonderful i really liked the piece because it had um it gave you a sense of what the landscape would have smelt like and sounded like it yeah. would have been full of horses not machinery so you would have had human sounds and the sounds of animals rather than mm. um and there weren't obviously there weren't motor cars but the only the only sort of mechanical sound would be the new trains bursting through the countryside yeah so had, that was a nice side to it not just the kind of technological side yeah definitely i think it was surprising to learn that um within the victorian era women did muck in a lot more you know with, with the men when it came to sort of reaping in the harvest and stuff but in the Edwardian era, women just sort of tend to go back indoors, really. You get very domestic duties, yeah. whereas the men work the land, and it seems like a division of sexes yeah. really happens 
in that era, in any well, 100, 110 years ago, 100 years ago. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, definitely. And I, I just found it interesting because I actually stayed on the in the Victorian farm um, yeah, and I've written about it for the Great Days Out section. This is when you make some corn dollies for the Christmas tree. Yes, yes. Lucky I thing. <laughs> yes, I made a corn dolly Christmas angel, which, uh, yeah, which will be pride of place on top of my Christmas tree, definitely. Fantastic. Dave, how about you? What was your f- sort of fave of the month? Um, well, my favourite feature was about our winter migrants, um, thrushes. I don't really know anything about birds myself. I'm not really um, much of a twitcher, but I found the article really interesting because um, last winter, in the harsh winter, I um, actually saw some red wings, which I'd never really been able to identify before. There's two species that sort of invade, aren't there? There's um, field fares and red wings, and I think they come from Scandinavia. Yeah. Um, and... Basically, they see coming to Britain as a bit of a summer holiday for them, or winter holidays, warmer from, than where they where, than where they breed, and they come and basically strip our hedgerows of berries. Mm-hmm. And they're really beautiful birds, but not many people know about them. So this feature kind of flags them up and shows you how to find them yourself. Yeah, something to look out for this winter. Indeed, and, and because of the harsh winter and a lot of snow we had la- last year, or actually early early this year, um, they started to invade people's gardens to find more food. So that was. Why they're easier to identify. A lot of people, people thought only. they were cuckoos and all yeah, sorts of exactly. odd things. But um, and actually, they arrive in massive numbers, like a million, two million of them. So uh, we really ought to be more familiar. But if you don't know your red wings and your field fares, there's a there's a lovely feature in this month's issue. Now I'm going to dive in before I ask Joe what her favourite is, <laughs> um, just because I know she's got a game for us to play. But um, my my favourite, the, the feature I enjoyed putting together most was um, actually Valentine Warner's Christmas Feast. Now, Valentine Warner is a, is, a, is a chef who's joined the magazine recently and he decided that he'd like to um, produce a, sl- a slight sort of traditional Christmas meal but with a bit of a variation. So I was lucky enough to go along with him, with a photographer, and we found somewhere for him to cook and spent a day being entertained by him because it was amazing how he put the whole menu together while carrying on this ridiculous banter um, he's, he's great fun, and his piece reflects that. It's full of sort of quirky little valisms, and um, he's he's a real asset to the magazine. And I think throughout the next year, his column is going to be uh, a, some some kind of quirky insight into country cooking, but also um, just a, a bit of fun as well. So uh, thanks, Val, for for a wonderful day, and um, readers enjoy the enjoy his menu. And on to Joe, who has. A special pick of the month. <laughs> I do, yeah. Um, my favourite feature is the origin of British pub names. And I found this fascinating because our pubs, I mean, it's, it's a unique institution to, to, to Britain. There's no other place in the world where you find these places which have been, I mean, they've been a refuge for like smugglers, pilgrims, nowadays walkers. They've seen dynasties rise and fall. So they've, you know, taken sides or not taken sides over the years. And their names actually reflect all these roles that they've played. And I just find it fascinating because you don't actually necessarily think this when you go to your local crown or bear or anchor. It's just fascinating to find out the reasons behind these names, like the the bear, which used to be in the reign of Elizabeth I. Um, they used to be sort of bear baiting happening at these pubs and bull baiting in other pubs, which is what's why... a happy thought. Yeah, what's a happy, <laughs> happy thought. But, you know, which is why the bull is actually, you know, more of a popular name than bears because bears were a bit exotic. And right down to really... You've got our most common names in there, but also down to our most unusual, like the Drunken Duck in um, Ambleside in Cumbria, whereby the, the 
ducks actually got drunk on beer one day and the landlady thought that they were dead and started plucking them and then they came back <laughs> back to life midway. That's tragic. <laughs> yeah, there is actually quite a lot of tragedy in this feature. <laughs> and then Val Warner served them up for his <laughs> Christmas dinner. <laughs> yeah. uh, apparently, she I don't know whether this is true or not, but the legend goes that she felt so guilty that she actually knitted them jumpers yeah, to keep them warm. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah, so it does have a lovely happy ending. <laughs> quite often when I go to the pub, I, I discover all this history about the um, the well, the history behind the pub's name, but strangely, by the end of the evening, I've forgotten it all again. And I can't <laughs> oh, quite really? put my finger on it. Well, um, I mean, the idea behind the feature when I commissioned it was to fill it full of what we call pub ammo. So it's the idea is that you can read this feature and take these facts and um, quiz your friends, maybe just show off, maybe to put put together your own pub quiz. Uh, so I decided to put together a pub quiz for the Country File magazine team. Um, no one else has seen these questions yet, so that everyone's looking a little bit nervous. I've tried to look at the answers, but I can't. <laughs> yeah, they're in bright red pens, so <laughs> do be careful. Um, so we've got eight questions here. It's going to be a bit of a, um, is it called my bluff, where I give you uh, three answers and one of them is correct. You may confer. Uh, there's also uh, three bonus, four bonus points, actually, so a maximum of 12 points and the winner gets that delicious pint of foaming ale that's sitting in front of you at the moment exactly exactly oh, excellent. i wonder what it was and if doing you can't then. get more than five points i get it <laughs> okay cool so um are you, are you ready country file team i think so yes. yes okay so welcome to the uh, country file magazine pub quiz eyes down for the first question which of these pub names are genuine is it a the silent woman b the talkative man or c the happy trout it's got to be the silent woman, right? Well, a talkative man sounds very unusual. Are <laughs> <laughs> you saying it's unusual to have a talkative man or just to name a pub well, after Apart one? from me in this podcast. Um, Happy Trout. I think I've heard of that. I don't know. I think, Dave, you might, you might have something. Why, why do you think it might be the silent woman? I don't know. It just sounds... It's got a nice sounds, ring to it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm glad you said that. And, and also, it could be um, steeped in some kind of... I don't know, legend, you often hear of sort of like ghostly silent women walking around I imagine around that to be like that. just this lonely pub in, I don't know, in Dartmoor or something. It sounds something like that. Yeah. Okay. So what are you si- going to go for? Silent woman. Yeah. Silent yes. woman. You are correct. Yes. Excellent. Move that pint an inch closer. <laughs> yeah. It actually comes from um, a pub in Wareham in Dorset, which was once a smuggler's haunt and... Um, the customers found out the landlady was um, threatening to give away their secrets, so they um, threatened to silence her by cutting out her tongue. Isn't that jolly, lovely? jolly tale yeah. for uh, a pub name to take its name from. So that's one point for Country File. Okay, uh, question two. The Frog and Toad pub requires patrons to A. Sign their name on a register before ordering a drink B. Sing the national anthem before ordering a drink or C, hand one shoe to the barman for the duration of their visit. Oh, singing the national anthem sounds extremely tedious to have mm, to do if before doing that every ordering, single ordering a pint. I, and I think you'd soon have an empty pub. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, probably the handing a shoe in could be, you know, unfortunate. It could be any manner of thing on the shoe, smelly feet. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a minefield. That also sounds pretty uh, un- unpleasant and, mm-hmm. and antisocial. What's it's only what you do what, at a bowling alley, What was the other one? Um... Sign their name on a register before ordering a drink. Possibly. Well, that sounds anti-libertarian. I, no, I, I think it's that. I think it's something to do with some weird licensing thing that they had many years ago, and that stuck. Sounds very anti-libertarian. But, uh, that's my, Dave, I that's think, my yes, guess. You were, good. You were right last time, I think. Abigail? Well, I personally think it's handing over a shoe. Just Why because, do you think that? Just because, you know, the, the landlord might have a really strange sense of humour and people might 
go along with it and mm-hmm. what are you going to go for probably the register one registering the name is probably more likely i'd say registering the name okay registering the name okay. okay that is actually incorrect the answer is hand one shoe to the barman uh, bef- for the duration of your visit but don't worry you do have a chance to get a bonus point if you can tell me why so you don't run off without paying oh did the pub used to be a cobbler's workshop? Um, no, what happens in this pub is all the beer is served in a, a mini yard of ale glass, which is mounted on a piece of wood. Um, and they have a, such high souvenir value that people were making off of them. So in order to drink out of these special glasses, you have to hand over one of your shoes. So it's a deposit. It's a deposit. So Dave, Dave was almost glass. right, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. okay. So so half a bonus point, sure. <laughs> No. Um, question three. Um, how much beer sold in the UK is actually brewed in the UK? Is it A, 40%, B, 90%, or C, 70%? Are we talking beer and lager as well? Um, yes. Beer and lager, okay. It's going to be 40 then. I'd say 70. I think we brew it. So it may not actually be a British Oh, beer. yeah, okay. Yeah. I think okay. Just, just for actual Does shift, that, uh, shifting around the country. Sure. Should we go 70? Yeah, yeah. 70. Is actually ninety percent. Yes, makes sense. Beer doesn't travel very well. That's true. It's true. In fact, there's there's actually um, a bit of a a trend at the moment which we're going to look into in another another issue, whereby we're actually making beer that's being transported out to you know trendy bars in Hong Kong. It's actually coming from uh, barley growers in in the UK. It's like quite the opposite of what normally happens with with lagers. Okay, so we're still only on one point. And that beer looks like it's going to be mine. Okay, question four. Gin was originally made, A, to treat kidney disorders, B, as a cheap alternative to beer, or C, to ease the pain of childbirth? Very good question. Is that why it's called Mother's Ruin? Could be. (laughs) To treat kidney disorders, I think it causes those sort of disorders rather than treat them. Mm -hmm. um, It also shouldn't ease the pain of childbirth. It's not ideal, is it? I reckon ease the pain of childbirth. Yeah, yeah. funnily enough. Um, the answer is actually A, to treat kidney disorders, although I think a lot of people did use it for C. Mm. So we're still on one. OK, um, question five. The Royal Oak in Ramsbottom is famous for hosting A, the English Chicken Racing Championship, B, the National Beer Downing Competition, or C, the World Black Pudding Throwing Championship? It's, it's, not the da- it's not the beer downing one, I don't think. Why is that? Do you know where that is? <laughs> no, I... I but I've heard of this pub. Every ha- pub holds that. Yeah, I've heard of this pub in relation to something. So it's either the first one or the third one. And where, where in the world is this pub? Uh, Ramsbottom. That's, um, I'm going to get lynched if I get this wrong. I think it's Yorkshire. Yorkshire mine is the the black pudding could be. Yeah, I think it's probably black pudding. Black pudding. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's right. Yay! And there's a bonus point if you can tell me how they score it. What are they throwing them at? I think they're a place of bacon, eggs, sausage, baked beans. Nearly. Um, a ram's bottom? <laughs> Not quite, Dave. No, I've no idea. Um, the aim is to dislodge a pile of Yorkshire puddings set on a 20-foot high plinth. So you have two points and we're on to question six. Which pub featured in the Hitchhiker, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Was it A, the, fo- the Fox and Hound, B, the Horse and Groom, or C, the Dog and Duck? I think I know this one. I think it might be the horse and groom. Everyone agree? I'm happy to go with that. It's correct. Um, and for bonus point, why do they down three pints there? He down three pints because it's only got ten minutes. 
quietly is to calm... He, he, they do only have ten minutes, but it's to calm his muscles before teleporting. Oh, I see, yes. Mm. Uh, we, do, uh, we all do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, OK, question seven. The Ten Bells pub in London is renowned for being A, frequented by the highwayman Dick Turpin in the 1730s, B, a favourite watering hole for Charles Dickens, Lord Byron and John Keats, or C, the haunt of Jack the Ripper during 1888. Oh, that's that's just a stab in the yeah, dark. Yeah, exactly. It's just a <laughs> Jack, Jack the Ripper. <laughs> I I'd say B. I, I don't think it's B because I've heard of. I don't know. Something can, is telling me that it's not B, but it might be. <laughs> <laughs> it's very decisive, Dave. Anyone yeah. else? <laughs> it's not Jack the Ripper. It can't be Jack the Ripper because it's. They don't know who he is. Yeah, exactly. And the for option A was. Um, Frequented by the highwayman Dick yeah, Turpin. Yeah, I'm going to that one. Yeah. It was, in fact, C, the haunt of Jack the Ripper. But he met he met two of his victims there. Oh, and right. And it, it used to be called the Jack the Ripper until people, you know, rightly sort of complained that he doesn't no, want to be promoting that sort of thing. Not a great name for a pub. No. But, yeah. Oh, that's a shame. Well, we talked ourselves out of that. I apologise, too. <laughs> so we have, you have three points, and you have one more question, but there's one more bonus point, so you have to get both of these right in order to win that uh, point. OK, well, it's good to have some tension. Yeah. Um, the most common pub names are A, the Red Lion and the Crown, B, the White Heart and the Queen's Head, or C, the Royal Oak and the Swan. It's the Red Lion and the Crown. Yeah. It, and, and they swap positions. One was, one was number one for the camera... And one was number one for the British oh, really? Pub How Association. You know well, because I looked it up for the feature. That's why. Ah. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll take my point. I think that local knowledge is, is very useful. Yeah. Uh, Dave is correct. Uh, it is the Red Lion and the Crown. At the moment, it's the Red Lion. Um, and for the bonus point, to the nearest hundred, how many Red Lions are there in the country? 5,000. I reckon 1,200. Have a go. I'd say 8,000. 8,000 yes. <laughs> headline pubs. That'd be like every second house. Yes. It's, uh, it's, it's going to be something like 600 now, actually. Go on. Yeah. Um, well, the, the figure that I have is from 2007, to be fair, so it could have changed quite a lot, but it was 759. There's been a lot oh, more God. since then. Probably, I think it's nearer 5,000 now. Thousand. Yeah. If anyone knows how many there are this year, then please write 750. in. 750. Well, um, yeah, so you've got four correct out of 12, which is poor show, actually, guys. So this pint of beer is mine, and uh, listeners, feel free to use that in your own pub quizzes. Thanks, Jay. Um, yeah, have a Merry Christmas. <laughs> but before we go, it's time for me to take you on a little trip out of the studio down to the Somerset Levels. Now, in the December issue, I've written about West Hay National Nature Reserve, which is a wonderful, wonderful wild area on the Somerset Levels where you might be lucky enough to see one of Britain's great wildlife spectacles, the great starling roost, where these up to a million of these beautiful little birds swirl around in enormous acrobatic flocks before heading down to roost and, and hundreds of people turn up almost every night in winter to see it. So I went down to look for myself but on the way I got diverted by a message from one of my friends saying that the roost was happening nearby, not at West Hay but at Ham Wall and this is how I got on. Well having said that there are very few people around, Ham Wall car park <laughs> It's absolutely full. There are cars all the way down the road. I hope I'm not too late for these starlings. I've already seen a few flocks fly overhead. I'm heading into the reserve now, which is walkway. It's an old railway track. And there's a pub here called the Railway Inn, which looks very inviting. 
but uh, I need to motor along now. Alright, I can see what looks like smoke in the sky ahead. It's a vast flock of starlings doing their thing. It's amazing. Like a huge line sneaking over the tops of, tree, of the trees. Up and down, up and down, sideways swooping. It's like suddenly it goes black and then it's they all fly to one side. And lots of little flocks coming together now. But there's one huge flock right above these reed beds. It's just going on forever. Here comes a small flock above me. Oh, three, 200, 300 birds. They're all coming in now. There are some good numbers in the sky. It looks like a great big boomerang at the moment. Oh, they're suddenly drained into the reed bed. But, uh, yeah, lots of little flocks coming from all around the countryside. Ah, oh, and just in the distance, silhouetted. Well, it looks, it's not that far away. Glastonbury Tor. What a backdrop to this fantastic extra wildlife uh, wonder, wonder spectacle. Perfect evening. The sky is kind of bruised and purpley. So you've got these wisps of starling smoke. There's a huge crowd of people up ahead. And they're all watching these. Uh, they've got the A1 position to watch the starlings come in. That's a flock of thousands upon thousands. Oh, it's like, it looks like a dragon. There's a small one behind, it's like a family of dragons. Smaller flocks behind. There is actually a massive flock out the back. If you use your binoculars to look over to the right, and you can see a huge flock in the distance over the farm. It is huge. That's a massive flock of starlings. And in fact, there's actually a nearer flock as well, just coming in here. You can see this lot, and there's another load behind. <laughs> How many millions? Are we talking hundreds of thousands. We're talking hundreds of thousands. Do you mind if I record this as no. a podcast for Country Farm Magazine? Oh, not a problem at all. That's quite all right, and yeah. And your name is, sorry? Uh, it's Chris Griffin, yeah. You so work for the RSPB. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm an information assistant for the RSPB. Fantastic. Um, and at the moment, we, we've got around about, well, anywhere between sort of 350 to 600,000 birds. Okay. Um, I mean, obviously, sort of trying to count the vast numbers is, is a little bit difficult um, when they start <laughs> to come in. an enormous flock heading through pretty much horizon to horizon. That's right. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing when they are coming. I mean, you can still see them all the way in the back. All the way at the back there now. Well. Yeah, and there's a f- further flock behind, and a f- it's like layers and layers of birds. That's right. Um, I mean, in, in the morning when you get to see them go, when they actually come out the reeds, it can take 25 minutes for the whole flock to come out. So the, the sort of the takeoff is as good as the as oh, the roost. Yeah. Sometimes even people better. don't get up. People don't get up early enough to. That's <laughs> it. Um, but sometimes it can be even better because like you, it's the whole kind of mindset behind it. You've got the whole sort of these guys are going to bed at the moment yeah. in the morning when they're when they're coming awake. You know everything's becoming alive. And you see them just burst out the reeds. Mm. It's tremendous. So they're pretty much going down to roost straight away, aren't they? They're not doing an awful lot of the whole uh, of the, at the sky dance. Yeah, oh, they're doing. Well, hold on, <laughs> as yeah, we speak. Pretty, yeah, <laughs> they're doing um, a fantastic display. Yeah, I mean, sometimes when you get like um, predators going through them, um, that's when they really sort of do the murmuration. So mm. we get plenty of other bits like um, you know your, your kestrels, sparrowhawks. Particularly good. Uh, in fact, 
Here we go, guys. We've actually got a golden plover flying over as well, which is quite nice. Just okay. going through the moon. Oh, yes. oh, yeah. Quite nice. Did that set the starling flock off? They thought it was something. Yeah, <laughs> sharp wings, and yeah, that's why they sort of mm. bunched together then. It was an amazing sort of swirl of sausage shapes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you get some incredible sort of photo opportunities in the winter. Mm. Um, I mean, they, they can make some crazy shapes. People have seen eagles. People have seen everything, sort of uh, from the shapes of the wind. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> this constant changing mass. Um, I mean, when they really do get going, it's almost like it's a, one massive living organism. Mm. Oh, it's just tremendous. And how do they avoid crashing into each other, which is the question yeah, well, everyone yeah, always asks me. Do you avoid well, they do, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Stalin's have got an absolutely incredible... Um, well, spatial awareness. They can they can actually sort of sense seven starlings around in their near vicinity. So one, and of course their bird's reactions are much much better than ours. So as, as soon as one twists, the next one sort of you know the, sort of, it's like a domino effect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And will numbers build up even further through the winter? Yeah, they should do. Um, I mean, the, the estimates last year were between two and six million. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's a, a massive wide gap, um, obviously. Um, again, because it's very difficult to actually sort of decide how many there are. We tend to say upwards of a million, mm-hmm. uh, and then it's kind of... To be on the safe side, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I think I've counted at least two and a half million. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know, it's, it, it's, it's so impossible to sort of count, and yet yeah. there's still more coming. Yeah. Um, counted nine. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> It's, it is phenomenal. Mm. Um, I mean, January, February tends to be the best sort of time to come down here. Um, that's when they tend to do a lot more of the murmuration anyway as well. Um, so, uh, that's so, so that's the key period to come if you're going to visit this. Although, there are, what, it's only 150 people here at the moment. So it's, uh, yeah, about that. Um, I mean, during the winter it can get, get very, very busy. Mm. Um, and, of course, the car park's very... Oh, nice. So parking can be interesting, but... And that's not too bad as long as people park sensibly, which is fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're we're going to be down here every night, um, all the way through until end of March, um, sort of talking to people about the starlings. Yeah, the they will be. Um, it might be something to do with the light levels. Yeah. Um, I mean, they do come from a fair, fair way away. Do they? I mean, we, we estimate that it can be as much as up to 25 miles okay. um, like as, a, as a radius. Oh, cool. Shanks over there. Um, yeah, so, you know, they will come from a fair distance. Um, and they usually have, like, little pre-roosts as well. Yes. So, you know, they'll go and sit on your wires and that kind of thing. And then they'll all come together, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing. If we get a sparrowhawk going through yes. at the moment... You, know, it could well, you need to have one in a cage. So you can That's it. it yeah. 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 My colleague's not here tonight. Peregrine hanging around. So they they find good feeding in this locality. Then I mean, the Somerset levels reach yeah. fertile farmland full of absolutely kind of well, the main vertebrates. yeah. Well, the main thing they're after is actually uh, leather jacket okay. uh, grubs. Um, yeah, that's right. So they're doing so, good. Yes. Absolutely. So that's why you often see them in your gardens. Yeah. Yes. Because um, I mean, they quite happily go for them. Yeah. Um, a big sort of key source. And of course, you've got loads of, sort of farmland around there as well. Oh, cool. Oh. I can't quite get the sound on the podcast. But... Yeah. 
So I mean, the, the speed of their wings um, when they go overhead, um, the, when they come really, really close, sometimes they can come as low as sort of 20 foot overhead. And you can hear this one. Yeah. As they go past them, it's the, the sound of the air being pushed from their wings. And it's that noise that reverberates through the flock. That's the murmuration. Ah, OK. Um, so it's not it's so much the, the patterns, yeah, it's the noise that sort of goes through. Fantastic. Which is pretty good. Well, thanks very much, Chris. It's great to, great to hear the, some words of wisdom about these stars. Not from all. The sun is beginning to set now, and I think most of the starlings have now roosted. But what a what a feast of feast of wildlife! That's it from me. Goodbye from Hamble Nature Reserve, and uh, I look forward to more wildlife adventures in the future. So there you have it, one of the world's great wildlife spectacles, just down the road in on, on the Somerset levels. And I encourage absolutely anyone to get along this winter. It really is astonishing. And that's all from us this month. Thank you very much for listening. And goodbye from the Country Fire team. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.